everybody. Welcome to a thanks or Black Friday edition of Lockdown Guardians. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about an interesting trade proposal from The Athletic that would bring a catcher from Cleveland. Uh, some bargain free agents the Cleveland Guardians could be looking at on our Black Friday. And in honor of Ohio State and that school up north, we're going to be talking Guardians rivalries all today on Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Lockdown Guardians. I'm Justin Latta. Uh, coming to you solo for the first time. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I want to let you know today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Bet Online. Lots of good sports betting uh, going on this weekend. Um, thanks for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure if you're uh, listening on YouTube, you're hitting subscribe. Uh, stick with us there. We're so close to 1,000 followers. That mean a lot to Jeff and I. Um, yeah, so hope you all had a uh, – first of all, I should introduce myself since I'm hosting solo for the first time, but you all should know who I am. Uh, Justin Latta, current managing editor of GuardiansBaseballInsider.com, freelancer for the News Herald and the Morning Journal and uh, some other good places in the past. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving and our stuff from Turkey and uh, good stuff from your family and your friends and pumpkin pie and all that stuff, and maybe you're out shopping while you're listening to this or doing something fun. Uh, if you're off on Friday, if you're working, that's, uh, that's a tough one. But uh, I'm here to get you through it. Let's start off with the trade from the Athletics. So um, the Toronto Blue Jays beat writer for the Athletic pitched a couple of trades out there to trade one of their catchers. It has been rumored that the Blue Jays are going to shop uh, some of their catchers, whether that's you know Alejandro Kirk, Gabriel Moreno, uh, Danny Jansen, any of those guys, they have three catchers. They really only need two, um, all, you know, varying levels of success and what they're going to get for them. Cleveland has had interest in the past in Toronto catchers, specifically Alejandro Kirk and Gabriel Moreno. Now it sounds like the guardians will be less interested in Gabriel Moreno this time around. I think they are pretty, um, set with Bone Aylor as the future of the catcher. Those two would probably not work as well together. Alejandro Kirk, however, and Danny Jansen, but Alejandro Kirk, they haven't had interest in. They were scouting him as recently as 2021. Uh, that was yeah, about the time of the Jose Ramirez trade, when it sounded like there was some interest um, there. Among other players, I think at the time they were also interested in Moreno, but that was before Naylor had the breakout season. But they scouted both. So the trade from the Athletic, uh, from the Toronto beat writer comes to or for Cleveland um, was for Alejandro Kirk, which makes sense. He's got four years of club control left. Jeff and I have talked about him a couple times on the show. Uh, hits the ball well, doesn't strike out. Um, really good pop time. I think framing's kind of an issue for him. Obviously not the athlete you'd want. But defensively, I know a lot of people out there probably think that he is not as good defensively, but the numbers suggest that he was, he was pretty good defensively. Let me pull that up real quick on um, – uh, Savant, while we're talking about him, but Alejandro Kirk last season, a 787 OPS, like I said, you know, 98th percentile in strikeout rate, 88th percentile in walk rate. 
Uh, framing 94. Okay, so I had I had it backwards. Framing 94th percentile. Frame very well. Pop time 34th percentile. So pop time's an issue. Um, you know, Sandy Elmar works with catchers very well. Uh, a lot of praise for him when he's done defensively for guys in the past. So maybe there's something they, they could see there that would work for him. Um, everything else looks really good for him outside of running, but, you know, he's a catcher and uh, he's a bad body catcher at that, but he comes with a lot of control. Cleveland likes him. And he's somebody you could catch with Naylor. You could DH him. Uh, I don't know whether or not Kirk can really play first base, but uh, yeah, you DH him when days are on when he's not catching. And I think that works four years of control at, you know, if you don't want to worry about his defense, then there you go. But anyway, here here was the trade from the Athletic. The trade consisted of Cal Quantrill and George Valera going to the Blue Jays for Alejandro Kirk. And the Blue Jays were really looking, obviously, everyone's looking for starting pitching upgrades. Um, and they're also looking for a left-handed bat, specifically in the outfield. Valera would fill that and would go a long way. Um, Jim Bowden said that the Guardians and Blue Jays should both consider this trade. Zach Mizell of the Athletic didn't really give a definitive answer. He, you know. Um, anytime Jim Bowden thinks a trade is good, I, I, I have some doubts and everybody should for all the reasons we probably mentioned in the past, uh, with him. And, and there's a reason he's not a GM anymore. And I think he would like to be, but there's a lot of transgressions there anyway. Um, this is a trade. I don't, I don't know if I consider it. Uh, it's a, there's a lot of factors involved here. I mean, for one, Cleveland really needs to upgrade pitching wise. I think if you trade Cal, I, you know, people think they're going to shop Zach Plesak, and I don't know if they're going to trade both Plesak and Quantrill. I think they'd rather trade Plesak than Quantrill. Uh, dependable number three, but I think they also want to upgrade there. I think um, in the situation they were in where Cal Quantrill had to um, start two games in the ALDS was obviously not ideal. He's a good pitcher. I don't know if he's somebody you necessarily want. Like, if he's your fourth guy in your rotation in, in the playoffs – Okay, like that, that could work. Um, I think ideally you'd want an upgrade, though. And I don't know that trading Cal Quantrill to his homeland in Canada makes a ton of sense here for Cleveland. They need to, they, they probably would be looking to upgrade the rotation externally, at least in the short term. Long term, I think obviously they're going to try to make sure they have some spots open for um, one of their big three, a couple of their big three pitching prospects. I mean, you've got, Bybee Allen and, and I'm sorry, Bybee Espino and Williams. You have Logan Allen. You also have some other guys coming behind that. Uh, I, I just don't know that the, uh, trading the guy, your third most dependable starter when you need to be upgrading your rotation makes the most sense, especially when Savali and Plesak both dealt with injuries last season, even though Plesak's injuries are all self-inflicted for the most part. Um, I don't know that trading Cal Quantrill here makes sense. I think they would probably find another way to get this done. The Valera one, I, I'm fine with. I mean, it does reduce your depth in the outfield if you do something like that because now that you've moved on from Nolan Jones, you still really have just Will Brennan and, and uh, Oscar Gonzalez in right field, and Valera is not going to follow at that point. So, you, you know, you have a little bit less depth in the outfield. And, and, you know, as we talked about reviewing right field and center field the last couple of days on the podcast, uh, the outfield prospects in the minors are a little bare. Now, they could use other prospects to move. Um, you know, they can move shortstops, they can move pitching, and they can go and find out other outfielders. They can make trades for outfield prospects or future guys, but uh, it's kind of barren right now. So I probably would say this trade's not in their best interest right now. 
it definitely upgrades the lineup. I think it would be a, a good addition for them. Um, I feel like in the order of catching right now, Kirk sits behind Murphy. And I, like I said, I don't know if Kirk necessarily has to be your catcher. Uh, he'd make a good DH, but I, they also don't want a full-time DH. And I also, you know, we've seen Terry Francona. If there's one thing I think you can be critical of on game management, and this is maybe an organizational philosophy, but you know, they always needed a safety blanket at catcher. And that's why Bonet that was on the postseason roster, but didn't play because he was there as a safety net. Um, although, you know, if Naylor and Kirk are catching, you're not going to pinch hit for them. So maybe it's not a big deal, but you know, uh, let's say they made this trade and, you know, Naylor catches and Kirk's DHing. Well, if they're not going I know Francona is not going to play without a catcher on the bench behind those two. So you would need someone like David Fry, another veteran to be on the roster. If you think Kirk can be like your part-time DH part-time catcher and you want to rotate DH as well. So they would need someone who can handle uh, being a third catcher on this roster. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say no to this trade. I don't think it makes sense for Cleveland. Um, you know, they could make this trade and go out and still upgrade their pitching staff. They could still go out and find uh, a trade out there for a pitcher. But remember, pitchers are going to come at a high price. So they're going to be trading one of their pitchers and they'll be getting somebody who can help their lineup in return. But if they want to go out and upgrade their pitching um, and try to win in 2023 with the rotation, because Odds are you're not going to get all three of Espino, Bybee, and Williams up to the majors. But uh, in the same season, you could. You could. I don't think it's out of the question, but the odds are not great, especially considering they're all would be so far ahead of all their 40-man timelines. Um, so if they're going to go out externally, if they're going to make this trade and then go out externally and and add pitching to replace Cal Quantrill, you're just, you know, you're hurting yourself at a, a potential position of need to upgrade somewhere else, and you have to go out and pay the price. It's like... Uh, you know, I guess the housing market is probably not as good as it was a year ago, but um, in terms of, you know, seeing a seller's market, but um, a year ago you would have said, well, yeah, I can, if I have to go buy a house, uh, I can sell mine, but you also have to go buy one. You have to pay the price to, to buy one. So uh, if you need one to live in, so maybe the rental option is a little bit better. Anyway, uh, I would decline that trade. Let me know what you think in the comments. Let uh get some feedback for on Twitter, wherever you're listening to this. Um, yeah, I would say the odds are, are pretty low. Cleveland would consider this deal. Speaking of odds, uh, as we hit our first break, Bet Online uh, is your sponsor for today's podcast. As we mentioned, uh, it's our good friends over Bet Online. Your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds, trends for every professional sport and amateur league out there. A lot of good stuff going on right now. Uh, the World Cup, obviously. There's tons of college football to bet on right now. You've got o- Ohio State and that school up north on Saturday. You've got the Iron Bowl this weekend. Uh, a bunch of other rivalry matchups coming up this weekend. So uh, the odds have not changed a ton on where Aaron Judge is going. Uh, but head on over to betonline.net. Make some bets for uh, Ohio State and the school up north. I made a bet on that last year, and I'm going to tell you, uh, didn't go well for me. But uh, maybe it'll go better better for you personally. Um Head over to the site today. Bet online is where the game starts. Whew. Yeah, I will not be betting this year on on sports. I uh, did not go well for me. I hope I hope you're better at it than I am. That's why you maybe, maybe if I would have looked at Bet Online last year, I would have done a little bit better. I wouldn't have been so so confident. Okay, while you're out doing your shopping or you're headed out, figured we would talk some free agent bargains, some some extra deals to that could be out there for Cleveland this off season. Um, 
as far as catching options go, this is this is where I'm kind of at, which we're talking about Alejandro Kirk in the first segment. Um, I think for Cleveland, for me, he falls number two behind Sean Murphy in terms of if they decide to trade for a catcher, I would probably bet on Murphy being number one, Kirk being number two. At least that would be my personal feelings on that. Uh, number three, if they if they decide the price isn't worth it for those two guys, um, I we've talked about when we did the catching carousel episode a few podcasts ago, Jeff and I. I think I gave Cleveland Mike Zanino, and I know people might look at that and say, well, Mike Zanino hits for a terrible average, and he strikes out a ton. That's how this team wants. But they've, they've shown they've been willing to accept a lesser um, contact rate from positions that give them quality defense. We know they value defense at catcher especially. But the difference between Mike Zanino and Austin Hedges is that Mike Zanino has one, two, three, four Four seasons of 20-plus home runs. He had 33 home runs in 2021. He's been a solid defender everywhere he goes. Obviously, the caveat is that he had thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. That's always a concern. But the crowdsource results at Fangraphs, which you know they always take um, audience participation for contract predictions, and they're usually not too far off base. They're giving him one year at seven and a half million. I feel like that would be good for Cleveland. So if they decide they want to go with the short term option, uh, it's about, you know, right handed batter, somebody who can pair with uh, Bo Naylor and maybe even start the bulk of the games while, you know, if Bo Naylor is not ready to, to catch full time quite yet. I, I, like I said before, I feel like they're going to bring in two external options catching wise. I, I would be surprised if, if they just go after one even if one of them is like a minor league deal or something smaller than this, but I have Mike Zanino third on the list. So Murphy Kirk and then Mike Zanino, and he's the first free agent target. There's not a lot of catching other catching targets out there trade wise, unless they are looking at uh, Arizona for that fact. I I would probably guess plan D is bringing Austin Hedges back after that. Uh, I would say that, that they strike out on, on uh, Christian Vasquez, you might ask about, the, the median or the crowd sourcing results on fan graphs. They've got him getting two years and 16 million. I don't know that Cleveland's going to dump $16 million into the catching position uh, over the next two years. I just, I just don't see it, especially when I think they need to bring in two external options. Uh, I have a hard time believing they're going to bring in two options from the out or one option from the outside and spend that much. So Mike Zanino seems like a really, a really, interesting fit for them and would come at a price that would be good for them. Um, so hedges behind Zanino. And then I don't know. I know he's been made a glass the last couple of seasons, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be stunned by Roberto Perez on a minor league deal. They need, they need catching at the upper level. So uh, you never know what can happen. I, I still believe that if healthy Roberto Perez is a guy that can um, be a good backup catcher anyway and, and do the thing we've seen them i mean 2019 might have been an outlier i'm sure it was an outlier the ball was you know the happy fun ball that year but um you know they've always loved his defense and he has shown the ability to take a walk in the past as well so uh he's only getting there's no way he's getting a major league deal so i could see cleveland regardless of the situation doing something um to that effect anyway they need uh, uh they need catching depth at the upper level so that's kind of where I'm at on terms of what I think the Guardians wish list or you know order of wish list will be. That's my personal wish list, but I feel like that's probably maybe something realistic to consider. Um, other outside sources, um, pitching. I 
look, this team has not had a free agent starting pitcher in a long time. I think if it wasn't Scott Casimir, it was like 2015, and it was uh, I don't remember who it was. It's been it's been quite a while. So they have not gone outside of the organization quite a while. The only guys I really can think of pitching wise outside the organization that makes sense for them. You know, Corey Kluber's out there. I mean, maybe they consider reunion with him, but the Fangraphs crowdsourcing has him getting one year and eleven million. I feel like they're not going to dump that much money into a free agent starting pitcher either. Uh, Kyle Gibson's out there, but he's just more of a Cal Quantrill like light, so I don't think that makes any sense for them. Ross Stripling's an interesting option. He uh, doesn't walk a lot of batters, and uh, but Fangraphs has him getting two years and twenty-two million. That's I think that's probably above their price range. They're going to want somebody in the one. I think it's really going to be a one-year range. That's if they even do. I think the odds are pretty low. Uh, that's all I wrote down. But they are going to be looking for um, probably a right-handed hitting first baseman who can maybe play some of their positions and can be their DH. Jordan Luplo played some first base for Arizona. I wonder if they would consider a minor league deal with him. Yuli Gurriel is 39. I think he's going to be 40 soon. I'm sorry, he's 30. He's 38. He'll be 39 next season. Um, had a terrible year. Won a batting title 10 years ago, and, and some of the stuff didn't drop off. He doesn't strike out, but he's a terrible defender, so I don't see it happening. Um, I'm kind of wondering how much interest this team might have in Trey Mancini. Now that I think about it, um, he's Fangraph's crowdsourcing has him getting two years, $16 million. Um, Mancini had good numbers at first base defensively. He was very slightly below average in the outfield defensively. If you look at the metrics um, in the outfield this season, negative two outs above average, but in left field, he was zero and right field. He was negative two. That's no worse than Oscar Gonzalez. And he was a plus two at first base. Doesn't strike out a ton. Um, you know, walks a little bit. I've never been a big fan of Trey. I'm going to be honest with Trey Mancini. I've never, I mean, obviously not personally. We talked about this in the past. Personally, not an issue. But um, in terms of the bat, I just don't think it's been all that quality, a good quality. He doesn't get on base that much either. But I don't know. Last season, Cleveland kind of felt like they were comfortable with guys who just hit their way on base and don't walk a lot. He walks a lot, but his averages have always been really low. He's only had one season where his OBP was over 330, and that was uh, 2019, which was his career year. He hasn't any, come close to replicating that any season. But uh, the guy crushes crushes lefties. I mean, I'm sorry, actually, last season he was worse against left-handers. So reverse platoon splits, okay. That's going to make me reconsider things. I don't know how um, how long that's been the case for him. But uh, well, 98 OPS in 2021 against lefties. But that contract, I don't know. I'm looking at the contract on, on fan graphs at two years, $16 million. Now I'm thinking maybe that's not so bad, and maybe there'd be a fit there, but I don't know. I've never been a huge fan of, of the bat myself. I haven't been really a believer, but that's not a bad price considering what else is out there. I will say as a caveat, fan graphs crowdsourcing only has Jose Abreu getting two years, $32 million. Um, I would – I think I would pay that money for Jose Abreu rather than anybody else. The $16 million a year for two years, that's a good risk. I just don't see him getting that little money. I think he's going to get a ton more than that. So um, that doesn't seem accurate to me. So take some, take some of these crowdsourcing results with a, a big grain of salt if you have any left in your sodium count from, from Thanksgiving. Um, 
as far as pitchers go, Alex Reyes is out there as a free agent, and he was an all-star in 2021, the Cardinals reliever. I think Jeff and I have brought him up before. Somebody I think makes a ton of sense. He's not going to get a giant deal and uh, has a ton of past success, and you know Cleveland's pitching development could do a lot for him. Um, there are some guys in the Rule 5 draft I might be interested in, too, for Cleveland. Um, one of them is right-handed pitcher Michael Mercado from the Rays. He is a 23-year-old right-hander who's six foot four. Uh, average, I would say fringe average command. So that's about that's average control. Fringe average command would be a 45, and control would be a 50. Control is always above command. Um, two, maybe three plus pitches. Lacks changeup. Added a ton of velocity in the last couple of years. He now can touch 99, but he's really 93, 96. Um, doesn't sound a ton different than Ross Carver, to be honest, although he throws a little bit harder. Um, this bat to double A last season, pitched 100 innings. Tampa Bay left him unprotected. I think that's an interesting option for them. Andre Chaparro from the Yankees. I know there's a lot of Yankees prospect evaluators who like him. Guy who does not uh, strike out a lot and, and really a third baseman. I don't think they need a third base. He's only been double A, so I don't know about that. Another guy I'd be, I'd be looking at is uh, Malcolm Nunez, a first baseman slash third baseman from the Pirates. Or, uh, Got to the Pirates in the Jose Quintana deal from the Cardinals. Uh, another guy who he strikes out a little more than average, around 23% uh, last season, 21%, but also walks, 13% walk rate last year. Uh, hit 17 home runs in, I'm sorry, 22 home runs in double A between St. Louis and Pittsburgh. Probably not a great defender, below grade, below average defender, probably lower grade defender, but um, a guy who has played first, who has played third in the past, a DH. Um, potentially a good hitter, someone you can carry because you're not looking for him to play the field. And he's right-handed, so I would uh, be interested to see if they would be in, look at Co- uh, Malcolm Nunez. Cody Bolton's another pitcher from Pittsburgh who they left unprotected, who's had some injury issues, but also uh, has some traits that Cleveland normally likes. And then another one I'm not so sure of would be Logan Porter, who's the first baseman DH, um, catcher from the Royals, um, guy who does not strike out or he walks as much as he strikes out and then keeps the strikeout rate in the low 20%. He's done nothing but hit in the minors. He's 26. The only question is, you know, David Fry is a guy who um, they already have in the system who could catch and play first and third, who is a right-handed hitter. Um, the only question might be is, is Clark's catching abilities better than David Fry's because we know Fry's are um, a little bit suspect at best um, as far as we know. I don't, I don't know what Nunez is. I'm sorry, I don't know what uh, Clark's catching abilities are but they can't be any worse than Fry's as far as I would guess. I mean, not that Fry's are that bad, but I can't imagine that uh, Logan Porter was catching still at this point for Kansas City in the minors and and um, was just as bad or worse. So Interesting option there. Uh, he's rolled, those, All those guys are Rule 5 eligible and I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland walks away with the Roll Five uh, Roll Five pick this year. They have a spot in the roster, and they're unlikely to add to the roster before the Roll Five draft, which is December seventh. So, those are all some interesting bargain type deals Cleveland could go after, um, just to kind of fill up the roster. Maybe find something. They are good at finding value, other people don't. So, could see that there. Let's get into rivalries since uh, Ohio State and that school up north are playing on Saturday. So let's get into rivalries right after a word from our sponsors. 
And we're back. Okay. So I asked you on Twitter um, earlier this evening before I came on here and recorded this, uh, who do Guardians fans think is their biggest rival? Uh, I feel like rivalries in Major League Baseball are so hard to manufacture. Uh, I think pro sports in general, they're hard to manufacture. They have to come organically. You know, Ohio State and that school up north have uh, obviously a built-in rivalry. And college is just so much easier because there's a lot more tradition. Uh, you know, Duke, North Carolina, Alabama, Auburn, which is coming up this weekend as well. All those schools have more traditional rivalries. You know, you have the Red Sox and the Yankees. You have the Giants and the Dodgers. Outside of that in baseball, um, teams don't have, you know, a lot of tight rivalries for the most part. Uh, even in the NFL, you've got division games. You know, there's not a lot. I feel like there's not a lot of rivalries in the NFL. You know, there is, you know, the Browns and the Steelers, which has, you know, been a, been a rivalry for sure in the past, but hasn't been a big rivalry in terms of who's been winning. Um yeah, in the NFL, I think it's hard hard to do, and I feel like in the NBA, rivalries aren't you know are, are short lived too. You know, the Cavs and the Warriors were rivals for a couple of years, but that was because they were playing the playoffs every year. And you've had history with like the Pistons and the Knicks, or the Bulls and the Knicks, and the Celtics and the Lakers. Like those things have all happened, but they've happened organically, and they're not ones that carry over long term. Uh, they're just so much harder to manufacture. So here's what some of you were saying about who the Guardians rivals have been over the years. Um, Howard Primer, who was one of my editors at the News Herald, uh, says tough in any given year could be the Tigers, Twins, or White Sox. Uh, a lot of evenly matched teams. That's true. Uh, obviously, Cleveland's biggest rival in the Central this season was the Twins. Uh, although you could say the White Sox. Because um, there was a lot of tripping going on. The Twins did not like the Guardians this year. The White Sox thought they were going to get the Guardians to crumble this year. But like you said, it could change on any given year. So obviously the Tigers haven't really been the Guardians' rival um, in quite a while, not since the uh, that 2014 to 2016 run they had. So those things can can change. It depends on who the matchups are with, obviously, instead of the Royals, which is interesting. Um, John Furlong said, Detroit, if they are more competitive – yeah, that's true. I feel like the only time Cleveland and Detroit were rivals was in was when uh, Detroit was good and Cleveland was good, and that was you know last like I said, twenty fourteen to like twenty sixteen. Um, ever since the AL Central's come around, hasn't been a ton of rivalry. I guess two thousand seven, you could say there was a rivalry. That was the uh, I'll get to this comment in a little bit, but someone brought up the uh, Fausto Carmona and Gary Sheffield battle. I was at that game. That was interesting. Uh, Chris Cleveland fan said. White Sox proximity to each other and the amount of Cleveland fans living in Chicago makes it special. I feel like over the years, the Guardians and the White Sox have had some interesting battles. Obviously, this year there was a little bit added in, but that was none of that really happened until the comments from Elvis Andrews. Like, I can't think of the rest of the year. I guess Josh Naylor's uh, antics after the two home runs and extra innings, that probably sparked some things a little bit. But uh, or, or I guess you can go back to when Tony La Russa tried to fight Roberto Perez after James Karinchak hit Jose Abreu with the uh, game with like the bases loaded or some some situation where obviously he was. I mean, James Karinchak broke uh, Roberto Perez's fingers because he messed up his signs. I don't think uh, Karinchak was intentionally hit anybody because he often can't throw strikes and 
didn't remember his signs, but uh, I remember Charlie Rosa trying to fight Roberto Perez over the whole thing. Uh, so I guess there was some moments there that, that create some heat. I'm trying to go back and think of any other mo- moments with the White Sox that were like that. I mean, maybe there was some more heat with the White Sox when they signed Albert Bell back in the 90s, but I feel like that came more from the fans than anything. Um, growing up, you know, in the 90s, I, I don't remember there being a lot of heat with the White Sox until maybe later when the White Sox were a little better, but they won that division title in 2000 for the first time, and they have been inconsistent at best. So, um, so here are some other ones. Um, Matthew Cannell says the Yankees because of the Yankees. I feel like this one has come up quite a bit. I feel like the Yankees are not not organic, but they're the ones that they play themselves into being a rival quite a bit because of all the playoff history going back to the 90s. You know, you had the uh, Sandy Almar game. They played in various division, or I'm sorry, uh, well, division and ALCS games in, in the 90s, obviously in 2007, 2017, this past season. I mean, and those were heated matchups. I mean, I wouldn't say they were like heated in terms of on the field, but they were, a lot of closely played series. Um, so you definitely could say that. And I feel like Cleveland fans, especially um, obviously don't like the Yankees, but I, I feel like nobody likes the Yankees unless you're a Yankees fan. I think everybody doesn't like the Yankees unless you're um, actually a Yankees fan. And then you could argue too, the fans throwing trash this year at Oscar Mercado and Miles Straw after the walk-off win and, and them having to go fight in the stands after they booed Stephen Qu- or cheered for Stephen Kwan getting hurt. Um, that was more of a fans versus the team sort of thing. Not really the, the teams versus the team, but it does create a sense of rivalry, which is kind of the whole point, um, even though you don't want to get there from that idea. But um, the other one comes from Matt Dallas. said, for me, it'll always be the Tigers, even though they aren't good right now. And, and as we talked about that stretch from 2011, 2014, and even 2016, because the Tigers were so close in 2016, um, Excuse me. And then he on turning into Jeff. Uh, also, watched from the Terrace Club the year that Foster Carmona and Gary Sheffield had a battle on the field. I was also at that game. Had no idea what was happening, but it was hilarious to watch Gary Sheffield run from first base to the pitcher's mound and Foster Carmona to put him in the headlock. That was uh, one of the best, one of the most interesting things I've ever seen that didn't involve actual baseball uh, at a game. I also wonder, too, how things will play out with the new division or the reduction of division play, and you're going to have more um, everybody playing each other once a year. Like, I've always argued for years that the the Cleveland and Pittsburgh should play each other every year. I'm not, I'm not sure why they didn't do that because of proximity. They always put the Reds every year, but I feel like they should always play Pittsburgh every year, too. Also, Pittsburgh's just a fantastic ballpark, and getting the opportunity to go – see the Guardians play in Pittsburgh would be awesome. I mean, if you haven't been to that ballpark and you have the means to do so, I'd highly recommend it. Great ballpark. Uh, great city, I know, as, as Clevelanders, and there's like some sort of rivalry with the, the Pittsburgh, but uh, also a very nice area to go to, that stadium. But I always argued those two should be playing each other every year. I don't really think, you know, we joke about the Ohio Cup every year, and uh, I don't feel like anybody ever feels like that's heated or any, any kind of big rivalry. It's a kind of a, a joke who wins the Ohio Cup and who wins the MVP for the Ohio Cup every year. Um, 
Yeah, I, th- I think I think the the comment from Howard makes the most sense to me. Is it changes on any given year? I think it's an organic thing in pro sports. You don't have the built-in legacies like you do in college sports. I mean, yeah, like I said, you have the Yankees and the Red Sox, and you have the the Dodgers and the Giants. But you know, outside of that, there's just not a lot of it really going on. Like I guess I'm trying to think. The NL East probably has some, like the Braves and the Mets over the years. There's some history there, obviously. Um, oh, Cardinals and Cubs. I should I should mention Cardinals and Cubs. That's always been a good one too. And I guess you got the White Sox and the Cubs. So there's more more than I let on as I'm as I'm thinking about it more. But um, it just seems like it's. I guess there's a bigger pool in college sports too. But a lot of the a lot of the things like the White Sox and the Cubs don't. Uh, Guardians and Reds, the Ohio Cup is not the same as, as the White Sox and the Cubs, things like that. So I think that it makes the most sense. It just depends on the given year. It depends on the division race and how tight things are. I mean, would there have been a lot of intrigue in the race with the White Sox and the Guardians this year, Had Elvis, especially down the stretch, had Elvis Andrews not made those remarks that actually were probably overblown more a little bit, but they were fun. And then, uh, you know, had, had the Guardians and had so many walk-offs against the Twins – and uh, Andre Semenya is doing his little sleepy thing. Um, would there have been a little lot there? I don't know. I think, like I said, I think a lot of it is just very organic, and it happens. And it depends on who it is any given year. But I'd love to see. I, I thought that was the one thing that was good about the, the you know extra divisional play. I know everyone got sick of seeing the same team. Uh, you're playing 19 times a year against your division rivals, but. The more you see teams, the more you dislike each other or you get sick of things or things boil over. And not that we're trying to, you know, advocate for starting fights, but definitely want to see these guys have some, you know, passion and create some storylines against each other. And I think the extra divisional play certainly helped that because teams do get sick of each other. You do see each other a lot and things do happen. They do boil over. So that was the one good thing for that will be going away. They won't see each other as much, but uh, I don't know. I I'm going to go with the Yankees. I feel like the history of those two teams just in the playoffs, I think that gives you a little bit there. And it's always like a David Goliath and some of that stuff's all for fans too. But I feel like in the past too, there's been a lot of back and forth between the teams at times, just not necessarily like words, but play on the field. And it always creates some very good moments and games for both, both teams really. Um, you know, when Cleveland wins, obviously it's satisfying for us. And when the Yankees win, I feel like the Guardians have always played. Cleveland's always played the, the Yankees tough in the playoffs, no matter when they've played. Um, the battles are usually very, very good. So um, that's who I'd go with. But I, I do agree. It probably changes on any given year. If you uh, would like to comment about um, rivalries in the Guardians, you know, make sure you hit us up in the YouTube comments. Like I said, at the top of the show, feel free to make sure you're subscribing, share with a friend. We would love for you to share with a friend and, and let them know about the YouTube channel or subscribing, downloading daily. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening to today's episode of lockdown guardians. Jeff and I will be back at it uh, starting on Monday next week to get you ready for the winter meetings, the winter meetings. So we have just have to get through next week, the week after Thanksgiving. We just have to get through that. And then the week following that is the winter meetings. Now, things don't happen in the winter meetings the way they used to. Teams have technology. A lot of them are in their, their hotel rooms texting and hanging out and eating food and whatever's going on. I'm sure they're meeting, too. But 
Uh, the winter meetings have not carried the same cachet they used to in probably over 20 years, maybe 15 years since the advancement of technology. But there are still some good storylines that happen. There is the Rule 5 draft. Things do start to – the wheel starts to move a little bit in terms of transactions. So we just have to get through one more week before we can get to that, and maybe we'll start to see some headlines. So definitely stay tuned for that. Stick with us on Lockdown Guardians and how we end every show. Go, go, Guardians, go.